0: If you've ever felt confused by how Jesus did everything for everyone and saved people and helped them, and yet you can never do enough to feel like enough, then today's episode is for you. If you've ever felt like you're not sure how to be a good Christian and also take care of your own needs, today's episode is also for you. I'm so excited to share with you the many examples I've found in the scriptures of how Jesus was not a codependent. Also, really quickly, if you find this or any episode on our podcast helpful to you, I would love it if you would share it with your friends by taking a quick screenshot and then sharing it in your stories. Tag me at Corinne Stoko so I can repost it. And then if you leave a rating or a review, that's super helpful for us too, because that's how people will discover our show. I'm so excited about today's episode because it's something that I've studied and thought about and I look at the gospel of Jesus Christ through this lens because it's kind of my thing. And I totally overprepared for this today, but I'm really excited to share. I feel I feel like I'm the Sunday school teacher that prepared 3 hours of information for like a 45 minute slot of time, but we'll get through whatever we can and I'm just super excited to share. So the topic is Jesus was not a codependent and why we sometimes confuse christianity with codependency so neil was a little bit reluctant to do this episode with me because this is like my jam and then will you tell from your perspective what your hesitation was i'm a
1: codependent so you talking <laughs> i need to take the course so actually i have been listening to them they're awesome it's an amazing the boot camps really good um but no i i think in thinking about codependence, like I learned early on in my personal recovery journey in my outpatient program that a lot of recovering addicts are also codependents in their own way. That a lot of scratch all. I probably yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess you could say that. But especially, I guess I recognize that myself that I'm a codependent myself, trying to give insights on solution in this area. That's a, that's a section that I personally am still working on and trying to like understand better on how that works in my recovery and with, in my life. Cause I see it in myself. And so I'm trying to learn here so I can share my learning experience, but I, I don't have any like, I've, I figured it out, solution.
0: But here's what's cool is you know the scriptures better than I do. So we'll just go through all of my findings. And I mean, there's still so much more to be found, but what I have found so far and gathered for today's episode. So and then we can just talk about it. Number one, Jesus was not a rescuer. So codependents love to rescue people, rescue people from the consequences of their choices or from their feelings or from their problems, right? I really love this story about Paul and the thorn. Do you remember that one?
1: I do remember this So
0: good. And this is what is said in the scriptures in the Bible about Paul's thorn. So he says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, I besought the Lord thrice. So three times he asked the Lord that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So what this tells me about the character of Christ is that he doesn't codependently just rescue us when things are uncomfortable. He doesn't go like, oh, wait, okay, you're sad. Let me hurry and fix it for you. And I think a lot of times people feel like, why isn't God there? I keep asking him to take this thing away from me or fix this thing for me. And like, what? He must not love me or I must not be good enough for him to answer my prayers. And it's not that, it's that Jesus knows that if he codependently just rescued us from every discomfort in life, we would never grow.
1: No, I'd have to agree with that. I mean, I I think a lot of—there are several scriptures that I'm just thinking of that it's oftentimes because of our weakness that some great thing happens or some insight or learning takes place. I mean, I think of a lot of the instances of the people that were healed in the Bible, like in the New Testament— how different they were after. Uh, one of my favorite stories is the is the man who had the, the devils, like the legion of devils and bad spirits in him that were cast out into swine and then the swine run off the cliff. Like afterward, he wanted to become a disciple of Christ. He's like, Let me come with you. But then Christ says, No, go and tell people what happened and share. I would imagine his life after that was completely different, but would he have that difference? Would he be that new person had he not gone through being possessed of devils or a unique challenge or struggle? So, kind of also, an interesting concept. Yeah,
0: also, really interesting that Jesus didn't say, oh, okay, let me give you exactly what you want. Come on along with me. He said, no, this is your path. You go be a missionary. Like, you go tell people, not just, you know, I'm sure that people who met Jesus Christ in the flesh were like, can I be your best friend? Can I just hang out with you all day, every day? but Jesus didn't allow everyone, every part of him. He didn't allow every one of the 12 apostles to go with him for every miracle. Like He had such strong, good boundaries. I think what I love about what you're talking about with that weakness made a man strong is that Jesus sees what we need to go through in order to become the people he needs us to become, and he doesn't rescue us from pain. Number two, Jesus was not A persecutor, and he doesn't teach us to be persecutors either. And last year, my gift to Jesus was just to try to be of good cheer. And then I had all these like really challenging circumstances, like we all do in life. But I really had this refiner's fire of learning to wake up every day and be of good cheer when I was on bed rest for half of 2022. And I love that there's a lot of places actually in the scriptures where Jesus says, be of good cheer, but this is one of my favorites in John 16. He says, in the world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The opposite of that, the codependent persecutor is like when they see something they don't like, or when they see someone doing something they don't like, the person that they're codependent with, then they feel a need to yell, shout, get angry. Coerce or manipulate someone into not doing that thing again because the codependency tells you if I get angry, then they're going to feel guilty and then they won't do it again. But that is not how Jesus wanted us to deal with each other. But what I love, maybe even more than that, is that Jesus taught us to mind your own business and (laughs) not worry about policing everyone else's behavior. Jesus was a big fan of like stay in your own lane. And Matthew 7, he teaches, judge not that ye be not judged. But he goes on. He goes into more depth. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, yes. it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that's in thine own eye? And Anyway, he goes on and on. Don't be a hypocrite. Worry about yourself. So a persecutor is always worried about getting everybody else in line instead of turning it around and going like, wait, what, what am I supposed to be working on? I am not this person's judge. It's not my job to judge them. It's not my job to, to get them to see the light. It's just, that's only up to me. And God will take care of that other person. That is the code of free way of thinking. That is how Jesus taught us to be. Is like, let everybody be in charge of themselves. I will worry about them. I will judge them when it's time. You worry about yourself.
1: Yeah. I love that one. And I I think of in like recovery terms, we would talk about clean up your side of the street or keep your own side of the street clean. And for some reason, I just, I see in myself and in other addicts I've worked with, we're like master inventory takers of other people, like looking at other people Mm -hmm. and being like, well, here's what you need to do. And your side of the street, you need to clean this up and that. And if you just did that, like, that's the the tendency, and I think it's a kind of like a natural man or natural woman tendency to want to do that or to be tempted to. Mm-hmm. But I love I love that element where it's like, look, as far as control goes, the only thing that I can control is myself, my agency, and I agency is is an eternal principle. Like God, even Himself, cannot in, like impose on our agency, and that's for a reason. Me trying to control somebody else's will is a bad idea and it's just not going to end up well.
0: And that's the core of codependency is subconsciously wanting to control others or other outcomes. And Jesus taught us very plainly in the scriptures or when he was alive and teaching from his own mouth, like, don't worry about other people. Just worry about yourself. And Jesus, we learn in the scriptures, was not a victim. And this is another thing that I Just really love, admire, and respect about our Savior is that He took things on and He did them out of love and He didn't like sit in victimhood. He didn't go like, oh, like, woe is me. This is so sad. Or, I mean, He lived one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult life any human has ever lived. And He did it willingly. I really love in John 18 the story about He's betrayed and then He's with Peter, who Arguably, is his best friend. So he's standing there with Peter. Judas betrays him with a kiss, and Peter gets pissed. And he's like, I'm going to s- just slice this guy's ear off because I'm so mad. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus says, no, put your sword away. He said, John 18, 11, then said Jesus unto Peter, put up thy sword into the sheath, the cup which my father hath given me. Shall I not drink it? So he says, like, listen, Peter, this is the plan, and I'm on board. And it's okay. I know what's coming and I'm here willingly. So what that teaches me by Jesus' example is that he knows that there are going to be hard things in life and he, he sees the eternal wisdom of why they're happening. And I think so often as a codependent, you can sit in victimhood of like, oh, this person did this thing to me, or these hard things are happening to me, or like my life is so hard and just feel like if other people would just be nicer to me, if life would be easier for me, if I could just get things to go my way, then I could be happy. Like then I could be of good cheer, like Jesus tells us to. But like my life is so hard that I just perpetually am a victim. And Jesus didn't live that way. And he taught us, be of good cheer I've overcome the world, and then when he did hard things, he did them intentionally with love. He didn't go like oh this is this is so hard, And he even teaches us too, like when you fast, when you do things that are challenging, don't do it with a bad attitude. Don't sit around and feel sorry for yourself. Do it out of love, Do it because you want to do it.
1: yeah, another example, probably the greatest example that I can think of about Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's performing going through the atonement taking on the sins of the world and it's just amazing what he says this is just the greatest line where he talks about father if thou be willing remove this cup from me nevertheless not my will but thy will be done so it talks about he was sore amazed meaning like he'd never felt and and i had a my mission president when you go you know serve a mission for our church he talked about this he was like the mission leader and he said Christ had never felt sin before. He was perfect up to that point. He'd never sinned. So he'd never felt the effects of sin up to that point. But suddenly taking on the sins of the world, it talks about he was sore amazed, like just really amazed and it was really heavy. Even in that moment, like the ultimate, you want to talk about like the ultimate challenge, the ultimate opportunity where I, I think like I probably would absolutely be a victim in that scenario. His response is, if thou be willing, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He's not even thinking about himself in that moment. He's thinking about God, his father, and he's thinking about us. Like pretty incredible.
0: Yeah. And that too is the at the core of becoming coda free. What I teach people is turning your will over to God is the ultimate freedom from codependency. Not feeling like Other people control your destiny. If other people would do things certain ways, or if a situation would turn out a certain way, then you could be happy. Giving your will to God instead and saying, you know what? I trust you. You know better than I do. And I will go through whatever you want me to because I know that in the end, it's going to be the best thing. That is truly freedom from codependency. Not feeling like you're trapped in other people's choices or in situations or circumstances that happen to you. But you know, it's just you and God. Like it's your relationship with Him, and that's what gets you through, not hoping that certain situations turn out or that other people do certain things or whatever. Okay. This is another, oh, such a good one. I mean, I feel that way about all of these, but Jesus teaches us that you reap what you sow. And a lot of codependents want to rescue people from consequences. I think a lot of the women that I've worked with in the Becoming Code of Reboot Camp who have like adult children, they really have a hard time watching their adult children suffer. And I have compassion for that. I understand. Like I can't even imagine I when I try to think of one of my kids as an adult suffering from really bad choices. Yeah, it's human nature to want to rescue them from that. But what Jesus teaches us is we have to learn that whatever you whatever you put into life, that's what you're going to get out. And that that is something that is a true principle. And robbing people of that is also going to rob them of their progression and understanding of all things in life. So in Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8, he says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And I think it's actually really loving that Jesus shows us and teaches us that whatever we do is going to end up with the natural consequences of life, and then even in the next life too. And I think it's interesting that when Jesus teaches us how our consequences come with our actions, that he doesn't rescue us from our feelings. And he doesn't sugarcoat things or soften things so that it's like, oh, I, I don't want you to feel bad when I tell you the truth. He just speaks truth. And he allows it to hit people however it hits them. He doesn't rescue people. And that's another thing with codependency is I think there's such a tendency when you tell someone a hard truth to then want to control how they receive it. You want to make sure that they're not upset because if they're upset, then you don't feel good. And Jesus didn't do that. He didn't go around saying like, well, I'm going to teach people and then they're going to feel bad. And then I'm going to go around and like, make sure everyone has enough hugs that they feel happy after. (laughs) He just allowed truth to sink in and then for people to change because that's, that is the loving, kind way to let people find truth and find happiness on like an honest true path and not just like, oh here, let me make it all better. Let me make sure that like you don't feel bad. Because if you feel bad, then I feel bad. Yeah. That is codependency.
1: No. And I think of an addiction, there's always an enabler. I always talk about a lot of times it's it's a mom or a some type of a parent figure that, that or somebody that enables the addiction to perpetuate, that is always bailing them out or giving them money or keeping them from the consequences of the bad choices. And and it just enables. It enables the addiction and perpetuates it. So really interesting.
0: Also, really quickly, you will love these scriptures. They're kind of deep. But if you, if you listen, you can hear how Jesus is teaching about powerlessness in Romans 7, 14, 15, 17, and 19. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not, but what I hate, that I do. And then he goes on to say, Now then, it is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For this is 19, for the good that I would do not, but the evil, which I would not that I do. I know it's confusing a little bit, but he's basically saying like, even when I don't want to do something, I end up doing it. And this is addiction to a T is like, you give your choices to an addictive behavior enough times, then you become a slave to it. And so I think that where Jesus wants us to learn from that is that he's not like, oh, well, if it Becomes too hard, like I I'll step in and make sure you don't make too many bad choices so that you don't give up your agency to an addiction. He literally allows us to just choose our path, choose our choices. And then sometimes when you choose an addictive behavior long enough, it takes away your power to say no to it.
1: Yeah. No, and there's a really cool quote in the ARP manual that talks about that being disconnected from you can actually become disconnected through chemical means from your will and i love that scripture by the way i actually I have i've read that before and i remember being in addiction and, and reading that and being like this makes perfect sense to me mm-hmm. like this is exactly what i'm experiencing right now it's like this is powerlessness mm-hmm.
0: Another one, codependents oftentimes expect everybody around them to mind read or like, oh, you should just know this. Like you should, you should automatically figure this out about me. And Jesus is like, no, ask for what you need. He teaches us to ask. And in Matthew 7, 7 through 8, he says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you for everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And a lot of times, like resentment builds up because people just expect that other people should fall in line and do things for them. It's this codependent, like, well, you know, I would be happy if this person would just figure out that this is what I need. No, ask for what you need. Being code of free means you just are honest and straightforward, and you ask for what you need. And this is something that Jesus taught us to do. He didn't teach us to walk around expecting and hoping that everybody else would just intuitively figure out what we need. Like, just be honest and ask for what you need.
1: This is definitely a strength that I feel like you possess. It's like <laughs> the people, uh, like the curse, and I, I don't know. I think there's like the curse of the nice guy, like where you're exactly. just, you're you're so nice. You don't want to ruffle feathers. You don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to disrupt anything. So you kind of don't say anything on a lot of stuff but underneath that you're holding on to resentment so i'm speaking from experience somebody i know somebody i know personally
0: myself weird so an anonymous friend
1: and and a really like someone once told me i think i don't know a therapist or somebody is like hey you have to have you have to be okay like not being okay in certain situations or or speaking up about something that's uncomfortable or saying like hey i i disagree or i don't like that or i don't like this which for a lot of people is really hard. Yeah. So it can be tough.
0: Hard for codependents and hard for addicts who are also codependents. Okay, in Revelation, also, this is one of my favorite scriptures, Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and will sup with him and he with me. And what that teaches me is Jesus won't infringe on our agency He doesn't want us to do that on other people too. He doesn't want us to force things on other people. He's teaching us, like, if you want to be with me, come to me, come follow me. I'll, I'll be there. I'm ready. I'm willing. But like, you have to also act and you have to take action. And a lot of codependent people are like, I'm trapped. I'm stuck. I'm, this is my life. It's so sad. No, like you're not a tree. Move, change. Do something different. Try something new. And I think sometimes with Christianity, we confuse like, oh, I'll be rescued by Jesus because he's going to like pluck me out of this hard situation. This goes back to the thorn thing. It's like, no, you come to me and I'll help you. But you can't just sit in victimhood or sit and be sad or just expect other people to fix things for you. You got to take action.
1: Yeah. I always automatically right when you said that I was thinking of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the guys that are thrown in the fiery furnace for not being willing to worship you know, a false god. But their answer is pretty amazing. It's like if God delivers, if God delivers us, okay, like amazing. But if not, we're still not going to worship a false god. Like we know who God is. But if not, so there. There are really a lot of great examples I think in Scripture that talk about that about. Sometimes people being delivered and sometimes people not being delivered and that's God's call. But I think to your point, as a sounds like as a codependent, you you kinda wanna deliver people all the time if that's something that was on your radar or you feel obligated to do in a certain situation.
0: Okay, next this we're gonna unpack the Sermon on the Mount and how it is, in my opinion misunderstood and what i think jesus actually meant so but in the beginning he is talking about like blessed are these people blessed are the peacemakers blessed are people who are persecuted for righteousness sake but then he says this is so good blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Okay, this is what I think he's meaning is if you are falsely accused of something, if other people don't like you, if you codependents need everybody else to like them and everybody else to approve of them so that they're okay, and Jesus is like, "No, it doesn't matter what other people think of you. It doesn't matter what they misunderstood about a situation because of gossip. All that matters is what God thinks of you." This is in my opinion, what Jesus is teaching here is like, the reward comes in heaven, guys. So quit worrying about what other people's perceptions are of you and just worry about what God thinks of you. But the actual most misunderstood part of this as it relates to codependency, I think, is later on in the Sermon on the Mount where he's like talking about, you know, what if somebody does something mean to you? Um you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at thy law, take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that ask thee from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Okay. So all of those things would imply Just give everybody whatever they want. Like just be the giver of all things and respond to everyone's demands and never have any boundaries. I think that's like, this is where people misunderstand Jesus is they stop there and they say, oh, this is what Jesus did. So This is what I got to do, too. Like if somebody asks me to do something, I just have to do it. But they don't read the rest of this. They miss the most important part. So 44 but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you and pray for them, which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them, which love you, what reward have ye? Like if you get other people to love you and you're worried about everybody else being people pleasing and getting everyone else's approval, like what what's the reward? And he says, do not even the publicans the same. But he says, and if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? So if we go back and unwrap this, unpack this just a little bit, where he says Okay, yes, do all these things. Go two miles with someone, give them your coat, like let them sue you, turn the other cheek, all of those things. But he explains the motive. This is the most important part. The motive is love. The motive is you love God first and you want to do what he would want you to do. And then you love others as you love yourself. People miss that part. They miss the part that, like, you have to take care of yourself. And that by having respect for yourself, you can truly love others. And you don't do things because you feel like you have to. You do them out of love. And I think that that motive of love and saying that he's like, love your enemies, bless people that curse you, like that you can be called the children of God. Jesus teaches that the easiest way to spot a child of God is how much they love others in codependency. When we do things we don't want to do that they are like coined, I have to do this, they're done with resentment. They're done out of this obligation to like, I don't want to look like a bad person, so I'm going to do this. Or if I was more of a Christian, I would do that. Or it's all about the intent, the motive, the perception that other people are going to have of you versus the motivation is love. Yeah, this doesn't sound comfortable, but I'm going to do it because I love God. Okay, so like maybe we go clean the chapel and it's not that fun on a Saturday morning, but we do it because we love God or we do it because we're afraid that if other people notice that we've never done it, that it makes us look like bad Christians. (laughs) So this is where I think people miss the mark is that Jesus is like, yes, do all these things, but do them with the right motivation and make sure that you're taking care of yourself and you love yourself as you love others. Like, I just think people skip over that. They miss it. They totally miss the mark here. And then they do things with obligation and resentment, and they wonder why they're so unhappy trying to be like Jesus.
1: I love the Sermon on the Mount is just incredible. And I think that like the context of where a lot of that came from is these people are like living the law of Moses, which is just Mm -hmm. this crazy, crazy, strict, Specific like everything is commanded law, and then Christ comes fulfills that law through His sacrifice, but then preaches the higher law, which is the Sermon on the Mount, which is the law of love. Those it comes back to like the two great commandments: loving God and loving yourself, and loving your neighbor. Loving
0: others as as you love yourself.
1: So you you love your you love God, you love yourself, your neighbor is yourself. Like then that. That expands to others. So, so much of this is so like for me, recovery based because a lot of the addiction comes from external validation, like a need Mm -hmm. for external validation and approval. And I've found that that is really tough. Like a lot of times it feels good to get external validation when everyone's patting you on the back and telling you how awesome you are, but those same people can invalidate you as well. When you're relying on something that's so all over the place or can validate or invalidate, then it becomes this really unhealthy dynamic and really unhealthy game that you're playing. But if your validation comes from God, it's perfect.
0: And this is what Matthew 5, those last few verses in the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, like, be the children of God, He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, sendeth the rain to the just and the unjust. like God works it all out. He's in charge. Let him figure out who's just and unjust, what's right and what's wrong. And then he spends two more verses saying like, are you just trying to get other people to love you? Are you just trying to get people to approve of you? Isn't that what the publicans are doing? And then the very last verse, this is the gospel according to Corinth, is when he says, be ye therefore perfect, even as your father, which is in heaven, is perfect. My interpretation of that is when you become more like God, your motives are perfect. Like you do things truly out of love and not because you're trying to seek approval from everyone else. I just think because it falls right after those verses where he's saying like, why are you doing this? Are you doing it just so that other people will love you? Or do you care about God? And then he says, be perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. My interpretation could be totally wrong. (laughs) Someday I'll have a discussion with Jesus about it. But I think he meant have perfect love and motivation. Have love be the motivation for why you do these things, not worrying about what everybody else thinks.
1: Yeah, no, I could totally see that. And I I think that really the the motivator for god is love everything that he does is because the scripture talks about he first he loved us we love him because first he loved us we're striving to be more like that in our lives i'm trying to be more like that but definitely like these are all principles that that i think can be be overwhelming if we're not cognizant of approaching them in the right way and in the spirit of love and in recognizing this is why christ is so important though because if if we're looking at all this stuff and and i think we're we're setting up a mental task list and and note of like okay i gotta do this i gotta do that i gotta do and i gotta do it perfectly it's just not gonna happen but it's like that's why christ came that's why he came to the earth is to be able to to not just make the difference, but be the
0: difference for us. And Satan loves it when we get overwhelmed and feel like, oh my gosh, there's so many things to I do. I can't do, do all this, the things, gotta like gotta the go checklist. The chapel,
1: gotta go serve and, him.
0: and God's ways are always simple. They are always simple. The answers are simple. And so if we can see that, like have eyes to see when Jesus is like, listen, this is pretty simple, guys. Love God first. Love your neighbors as you love yourself. Don't forget about taking care of yourself too. In fact, let's talk about that for a minute because that's another thing that I love to look at Jesus's example of, okay? So he is, we we talk about and champion Jesus as the ultimate server. Like he goes around and serves people, right? He performs miracles, he's teaching, he's on his feet all day long. Have you ever noticed that Jesus is also really tired <laughs> a lot of times, where he will teach and serve and perform miracles. And then, then what does he do? He goes to the mountains to retreat, to sleep, to rest and recharge. And he is a big supporter of rest. He talks about like, find rest in me. And we know God commanded us to rest on the seventh day. Like This is a true principle of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to not just run yourself ragged. And codependents love to do that. They love to do this like self-sacrificing act where it's like, oh, if I just keep myself super busy and I'm everything for everyone, then like God will exalt me. No, like Jesus showed us that he respected himself enough to rest when he needed to rest. And even when he's out on the boat and they're in this gnarly storm and he's sleeping, he's sleeping through it. And then he wakes up and the apostles are freaking out and he's like, guys, like, did you not trust me? I've got this. It's okay. Then he calms the storm. But what I think we miss is just seeing these little times where it's like, he was probably exhausted because he did so much and he knew he listened to his body and he rested. He took time to take a nap and sleep and recharge. And I see so many people who just feel like they have to overgive and overserve and overdo to kind of like earn other people's approval, or probably even. I know it comes sometimes from a really good, like, loving God, pure motivation. But Jesus did give us a perfect example in all things, including rest.
1: I mean, we did a whole podcast episode on rest
0: mm-hmm.
1: a while back, but but I think it is such an important principle, and I think of in that example of Christ calming the seas, like he was sleeping,
0: exactly. <laughs> he was, he
1: was resting. And the, and I, I love, there's so many good ones, but I mean, I love that story too, because he, the apostles are obviously freaking out and he's like, why are you fearful? And then he calms the seas and, and then maybe he went back to sleep. I don't know. I'll have to ask him, at some point what happened after that, but really, really cool.
0: I also love how Jesus had really good boundaries about not gossiping, not getting sucked in or baited into, like the Pharisees and Sadducees love to do that. They love to try to like back him into a corner and get him to say things that would like make him look bad. Or they caught the woman in adultery and they were like, what do you think? And he draws a line in the sand and is basically holding that boundary of, I'm not going to sit here and gossip with you. I'm not going to get like manipulated into saying something that I didn't mean to say. And I think that he has these boundaries of, uh, and he teaches us to not cast pearl before swine, like where he wants us to keep certain things for ourselves. We don't owe an explanation. We don't owe unhealthy conversations with other people. And I think that A lot of times, too, people feel like they're being Christ-like or Christian by always offering whatever everybody else is asking of them, including when it comes to unhealthy conversations or maybe something that feels uncomfortable like gossiping, or I don't want to like call somebody out or not participate because what if they feel bad? What if they think I'm being mean? What if this boundary makes them feel like a bad person? But Jesus had no problem holding back and not getting involved in things where he knew he was getting baited into something that he didn't want to be involved in or gossiping, like talking badly about another person just to condemn them in front of a crowd. So I think that that's another really great example of Jesus just having very clear boundaries of this is is what I'm here to do and this is who I am and this is who I am not. And I'm not going to participate in conversations or things that aren't aligned with my values and who I am.
1: Yeah. I think he sees, he could just see through everything, like see through to the truth of what so many times people are trying to attack him or, or catch him in his words or, or manipulate in some way. And I think there, there is that people pleaser part of your, you know, of codependence or myself, I'm speaking of myself where you want to be like okay well yeah like i wanting to start to side to be able to like get that validation or make friends with everybody or be like the neutral player yep. but there are a lot of times where it's like you do just have to draw a hard line on things where it's like look i this is just as far as my values my beliefs and maybe it's religious beliefs or whatever you you know right and wrong like i just disagree with this or i'm not going to engage in this this line of thinking or this whatever that may be. Maybe it's someone who, who has really toxic beliefs that, that you're, they're trying to impose onto you or trying to get you to buy into or be a part of, and that could be on any topic really, that, that you know or, or feel is wrong. Like It does require like a hard boundary or a hard, hard no if that's going to persist. So kind of really, really cool to see how Christ does it and handles those interactions.
0: Well, and I think a lot of that is a real life situation where kind of like you said, you're trying to create connections with people. You're trying to fit in and somebody starts gossiping about someone and it feels, it can feel like the goody two shoes thing to do to be like, Hey, let's not talk about this person when they're not around. And I think that the temptation, especially when you're with a group where like they're all cool and you want to be cool too, and then a conversation like that strikes up, it takes a lot of guts and courage to say, I'm not participating in this, whether that's out loud or just silently leaving the room, doing your own proverbial draw a line in the sand. And so I think that looking at Jesus as that ultimate example of he didn't use people to, you know, make a a humiliating example of them. But he taught in private. He taught with love. and, And he did things that he wasn't worried about setting everybody else straight who misunderstood him. He was like the most misunderstood person who's ever lived. And it was fine with him because he didn't have this codependent need to get everybody to approve of him. He was like, I know where I stand with God and I know that I'm here on His path and on His plan, and I'm here to get stuff done, and it's okay if you don't like it. And maybe one of my favorite things, too, about Jesus performing miracles and Jesus helping people repent of sin and go and sin no more, maybe one of my favorite things about that is that He doesn't then follow up and check up on and run other people's programs and make sure that they're doing all the things. He teaches and then he allows people their agency. And I think we have as codependents or speaking from experience as a codependent, it is so tempting to be like, oh, but they need my help. I need to help this person. I need to make sure they're going to their meetings. I need to check up on them. I need to make sure that they X, Y, Z. Jesus didn't do any of that. He helped people. He loved them and he sent them on their way. And he said, go and sin no more. Go tell others what I've done for you. He usually gave them some kind of instruction, but then he allowed people their agency. And this is like one of the toughest things if you're a recovering codependent is just to allow other people to be exactly who they are. And did all of those people stay perfectly on like this straight narrow path that he set them out on? Probably not. And that's okay. And one of my favorite favorite things about what Jesus teaches too is his parable of the prodigal son and the parable of the sower where the the prodigal son it's like he came in at the last minute and we threw him a party and then the parable of the sower where it's like the people show up for work some some of them showed up at the beginning of the day they worked all the way down to sunset and then there are people who came in at the very last minute and they all get paid the same and what that tells me is that If I have someone that I love who I'm worried about because they can't seem to get back on the path or do things that are bringing them happiness, that Jesus is like, it's okay, I got this. I will work it out with them. I have a plan, I'm their savior, I've got it figured out, it's not your job. And to me, that is there's so much freedom and love in that of allowing people to choose for themselves and knowing that Jesus has a way to bring all the people back in, even those that are just perpetually kind of wandering off and lost and doing things that are bringing a lot of chaos and unhappiness into their lives, it's okay. Like, as a codependent, you want to save everybody, but it's not your job. That is actually Jesus's job, and he shows us in the scriptures, like, even if they come in at the last second, I've got it. I'll take care of them. It's all going to be okay. thanks so much for listening to mint arrow messages we're so grateful that you spent time with us today make sure you go follow us at corinne Stoko or at mint arrow messages on instagram and then if you have a second and you love the show i would love it so much if you would leave a rating or a review on apple podcasts that's the only way people can find out about us if they haven't heard about us before so just go tap the stars leave a rating or a review if you have a second we would appreciate it so much